Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the word of God. Chapter 6 and verse 12. Here God is speaking to a mortal. He addresses a man personally. The man's name is Gideon. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 12 it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Say, man of valor. If you look in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Isaiah 6, beginning at verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, or his skirts filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar and he laid it upon my mouth and said lo this hath touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged also I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for me then said I here am I send me In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the Apostle John begins writing in chapter 1 and verse 1 by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Look at verse 14. And the Word was made flesh. Everyone say flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In view of what has happened here in the last two nights, I think most of us left here about 11.30 last night. Some didn't want to leave then. But in view of all of that, I want to transmit something here to you this afternoon. And I'm trusting that it will change your life forever. And that the uncertainties up until this point in time will be totally eradicated. 
and that you will become bold with wisdom. Would you lift your hands, your voices, and your hearts? And would you ask God to do with you in this place today anything that he wants to do? Everything that he wants to do. That there will be a spirit of revelation and understanding upon us as a people, individually and conglomerately. Lift your hands and let your voices out. Lord Jesus, today, I thank you for standing here what my ears have heard, what my soul has felt, and for what you have done for me as an individual. I thank you for the conglomerate victory that is here today, and for the glory of the Lord that fills this house. Because we lift our hands to you, we lift our voices to you, we cry out to you, because there is none like unto thee. There is no God beside you, there was none before you. There shall be none after you. We pray for revelation and understanding. That you will anoint us boldly both to hear and to speak. We will not fail to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. We ask these things in Jesus' blessed and wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Would you clap your hands for the Lord for just a moment? Would you let your voice out? And would you cry to him? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. I worship you. I worship you, Jesus, because you are God. I have some very interesting books in my library, in my office at home. I have a number of Jewish books. One of them is entitled The Bar Mitzvah Treasury. It is a collection of true stories from Jewish men who had unusual experiences in their lives in childhood. One of the stories is told of how a man, when he was just a child, was in a department store with his mother Somehow, he got separated from his mother in the department store and was lost in among what was to him at that time in his life, in his short stature. He was lost in a forest, tall clothing racks all around him, and did not know where he was and could not find his mother. He ran up and down those little aisles. He looked, kept looking for her, and he could not find her. Finally, he found himself against the glass door that opened out into the parking lot of that department store. And he was standing there crying because he was lost. He did not know where he was. He did not know where his mother was. And he did not know what would happen to him. He was crying. A custodian in the store happened upon him and began to talk with him. And the child cried. He said, I don't know. I don't know where my mother is. I am lost from my mother. And the child crying. And the man tried to comfort him. And finally the man said to him, he said, What is your name? And the child replied and gave his name. And the moment he knew his name, the fear left him. He knew 
who he was. He didn't know where he was, and he didn't know where his mother was, but he knew who he was. I don't always know where I am, but I know who I am. I know my name. And if you know your name, who you are, it provides an incredible amount of security and confidence for you in your life. Lift your hands and say, I know my name. Because he knew his name, the custodian could go to the intercom and ask for Mrs. So-and-so and to come to a certain point in the store. And when the mother came running, she couldn't find her son either. When she came running and the child saw her, his world came together because he knew his name. I was involved in a very serious car accident when I was 15 years of age. I was knocked unconscious. Somehow, I managed to get out of the car. I was just stumbling in the streets at about 1 o'clock at noon. I could not remember who I was. I did not know where I was. I could not get thinking in my head to come together. We had a small a little nephew that was born into our family, and he had died of crib death. And my mother had been in the hospital. And in that daze, because of the impact, I could not get it sorted in my head, stumbling around. If it was my mother that had died and the nephew was in the hospital, or it was vice versa, I couldn't get it together. And I kept groping. I don't know how to explain to you with human words the anxiety and the emotional upheaval that can come to you trying to find out and to sort out such details. But I was, at least in my mind, I was in a kind of agony. Finally, after several minutes, and the police were there, there were cop cars and all kinds of things, but finally, I, w I could have cared less about those people. I was in my own world. The most important thing to me was to try to get these facts straightened out to know exactly who I was and what was going on. And I remember the instant when suddenly my mind cleared and I got the details together. It was like I was free. It was like I was set free. And the fear dissipated and everything in my life came together. How does God see me? I want to know. Knowing who you are through God's eyes is the most important conclusion you will ever come to. Knowing how God sees you is the most important journey you will ever embark upon. I know how I see myself, but how does God see me? How does God look at me? What does God see you to be? What is God's image of you? What does God see me to be? What is God's image of me? Gideon, the Bible says, was a fearful man. He was a fearful man. The scriptures record that. Until God said to him, You are a mighty man of valor. 
And once he heard the voice of God that called him a mighty man of valor, he began to act like a mighty man of valor. Abraham was a wandering Bedouin until he heard the voice of God that said, you are the father of many nations. The moment he heard the voice of God that called him the father of many nations, he began to act like the father of many nations. He was no longer just a Bedouin traversing with tents and an entourage. He had been lifted. He was seen higher in his own eyes and most importantly by God. Joseph, hated of his brethren, unwanted, the brunt of all kinds of jealousy and insidious accusations and treatment. But God gave Joseph a dream. And in that dream, Joseph saw himself not as his brethren saw him and articulated with human words, but Joseph saw himself as God saw him. Joseph believed that dream, and he told it. The telling of it helped to produce it. Suddenly, even though he was sold into slavery, in the house of Potiphar, he removed him from slavery to second in command next to Potiphar himself. More insidious lies and accusations. He found himself in prison, but there, he became second man in control there. And ultimately, he became the prime minister of Egypt. He was second in command there. It started with a dream. It didn't matter if his brethren believed it or not. It didn't matter if his parents believed it or not. God had spoken it. And if God had spoken it, that means it's going to come to pass. Clap your hands for a moment. And let your voice out. Lift your hands for a moment and ask God to give you a direct revelation today as he has never ever done before in all the time you have served him. Let your voice out. Be very honest. Be very transparent. Don't worry about the neighbor listening. Lord Jesus, today... Give me a personal revelation. Help me to see again what you have already shown me. When God, say when God, when God speaks to an individual, to a man, the way he sees that man, it's a miraculous thing. Because if you know what to look for, change comes in that individual and that individual begins to act like that you can see the thing begin to work in that individual you can see it begin to form in them i especially was aware of this when i pastored because there were services that we had that were like last night and in those services some of my young people would get a hold of god in a manner that they had never ever had a hold of him before 
And God, I could tell, had spoken to them. You could tell by the way they were responding. They were in contact with God directly, and he was showing them their future. He was speaking to them and showing them what they were capable of doing and what he would do with them. And I watched in the very next service. They were not the same as they had been a week before. The thing had already begun to work in them. It was forming in them. They had a different air, a different stature. They began to act. They began to personify what they had heard the voice of God say to them. It's unmistakable. The Bible says, in the beginning was the word. That word word comes from the Greek word logos, which means thinking, plan, mind, blueprint of God. We hear a lot about that. You've heard a lot about it. I've heard a lot about it. Teaching, preaching, etc., etc. But there's another side to God. It isn't all just logos. It isn't all just mind or thinking or plan. There's something else called rima. And rima is not the mind or the thinking or the planning of God. It is the utterance voice of God. Rima is the seed of all faith. The utterance of God. And I don't care what anybody tells you here today, who you are, how long you've been in this, or how short. You never get this thing together totally until you hear Rima. You never, ever get your life together. The direction never comes together until you have heard the voice of God personally for yourself. You can hear other people prophesy to you. You can have all kinds of things stated over you. You can study. You can pray. You can read. You can believe. But until you hear the voice of God personally for yourself, your life never really comes together. It never takes direction. It never takes form. Never. You never get it together. Rima is the seed of all faith. Every operation of God is by Rima. God speaking to our hearts. One of the most common statements you'll hear is that still small voice of God. A lot is said about that. All nine gifts of the Spirit operate by Rima. When you hear someone stand and prophesy, all they're doing is repeating out loud what they hear the voice of God saying in their soul. When someone stands and interprets a message in tongues, all they're doing, they hear Rima, they hear the voice of God and they are simply repeating what they hear the voice of God say in their heart and their soul. That happened three or four times here last night, wait. The spirit of prophecy came on Brother Gleason. That was a magnificent utterance. All he was doing was repeating what he heard the voice of God saying in his heart and soul, and he extended that to us as a people. Those interpretations, people were repeating what they heard the voice of God saying in their heart and their soul. It's all by rhema. Everything happens by the voice of God. And you've got to know the voice of God for yourself. I know the voice of God for myself. You know how I got it? I'll tell you how I got it. Way back in the early 70s, we did a, a meeting downtown Albany. We rented a hall, five churches in that area, very small, pulled all those people together and had this crusade. One night, a man demon-possessed walked in. I was the night speaker. He sat down in the back of that place, right in the middle of everything, 
opened a big book on Satanism, occultism, and sat there defiantly and read it through the entirety of the service. He never moved. He never responded. He never did anything. And I looked at him, and I watched him, and I could feel the terror of the kingdom he represents. And we had a move of God, but he was unmoved by it. When we got home that night from that service, I was staying with an older couple at the time. He was on the phone downstairs. She was on the phone upstairs and whatever, talking to somebody. And I had parked the car, and I came into that back porch. When I came to the kitchen, and I came into the dining room area, it was an old house, and I took a hold of the woodwork on that door frame, and I began to sob. I said, God, I've got to know you. I have to know you. I can't just go through this thinking about you or, or, or somehow knowing about you. I have to actually know you. I can't just know about you. I've got to know you. I have to know the voice of God. I have to know your voice. I have to know what you want done. I have to know how to do it. And I was fanatical with it. I was desperate. And I sobbed and I was gripping that, that, uh, that wood framing. And I slid down. I didn't realize at the time, but I slid down sobbing. Well, the pastor's wife saw me. And I heard her say to her husband upstairs, she said, you better come. Something is wrong with Lee. You better come quickly. And they hung up. And they came down the stairs. And they came and grabbed me. But this time, my fingernails had just cut all kinds of scratches in that soft old varnish on there and on the floor sobbing I said God I have to know your name I have to know your spirit but above all I have to know your voice I have to know the voice of God there cannot be any guesswork I have to know the voice of God and something fell on me and from that time to this I know the voice That's why I can be bold. That's why I can defy devils and combinations of devils. The devil is a loser big time. Big time. He is a loser. He's on his way down. I'm on my way up. And I intend to torment him every day of my life. I'll do it with worship. I'll do it with praise. I will do it with preaching. I'll do it with singing. I'll do it with clapping. I'll do it with running. I'll do it with preaching. But I will torment him because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. This Jesus is building a kingdom. The devil is tearing down a kingdom. But I am on the winning side. I know him. If you concur with that, would you lift your hands? Would you lift your voices? Would you let your voice out? Oh, you can feel God speaking to many individuals here today in the spirit. To confess means to speak in agreement with every operation of God is by Rima. Creation did not happen by logos. God didn't create anything by thinking about it. He created it by speaking it into existence. Because there was a point at which God alone in eternity, not wanting to be alone, a God of love, a God of compassion, a God of mercy, a God of grace, 
None of those things can be exacted upon anyone or anything unless there's a recipient to receive it. And so as far as I'm concerned, in the theater of my mind's eye, I can reconstruct how it might have been. I believe that God sat down one day and thought, and thought and thought until he thought, I will create me a world. I will create the solar system. I will create the galaxies. I will set suns blazing in them. I will put stars around. I will cause things to move. And he stood and by Reba, by the utterance voice of God, he said, let there be. And suddenly, out of nothing, all that we know about and what we don't know about suddenly came into existence. And I believe that God in Logos, in his thinking, in his plan for eternity for all ages, had a master plan for one of these particular planets that we call Earth. And I believe that God drew near to this planet Earth. And I believe he came down and stepped upon it. And where he stepped, he hollowed out the valleys and the mountains bulged up. I think he looked at the desolation of the movement. I think he spoke to the mountains and said, let there be life come forth. And I believe trees came rising out of the earth and lifted a lone finger to the sky, to the heavens, in worship of the Creator. God spoke light into existence. He said, let there be light. And light stood shining on one hand, and darkness rolled up like a scroll on the other. But light stood shining, blazing. I believe that God spoke to the air, and the air was cut with the wings of flying creatures. He spoke to the forest, and animals began to run through the forest and leap across the plains, and a red squirrel climbed upside down a tree trunk and hung there. You try that. Only God could do such a thing. I'm amazed that mankind does not lift his high eyes to the hills, to the sunset, to the sky, to the lightning, to the thunder, and fall upon his knees and cry, God, you are real. Your power is everywhere. Astounding that unbelieving man does not come to grips with the Creator just by all that is around him. I can watch a rose unfold in the morning sunlight and believe that there is a God. I can inhale the fragrance of a rose and know that there is a God. I can hear a baby cry and know that there is something called life that no one else can create, only God. I can listen to the wind blow through the trees and hear the voice of God. I can see his smile in the sunset. I can feel his touch at twilight. spoke to the massive bodies of water and said that life come forth and the great whales began to swim through the ocean and the waves began to move near the shore. And God looked at all of it as we know and he said, it is good. That's good. But I still believe that God sat down looking at the deer, the antelope, the great beast of the field, the whales of the sea, the tiniest bird of the air, the largest bird of the air, I think he sat down and said to himself, but I am lonely still. 
And he thought, and he thought, and he thought, and he thought, I'll make me a man. I will create what I myself want to become. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, everything that God made, he spoke into existence. But when he made me, he spoke to himself. He said, let us make man in our own image. The pearl of majesty, if you please, the sum total of his power and essence. Queen Elizabeth does that. The king of Thailand does that. All kings and sovereigns have done it through all the ages. They speak in the pearl of majesty, but there's only one voice and one sovereign. And so when God said, let us make man, he spoke in the pearl of his majesty, in the sum total of all of his assets and power. And God stooped over the dust of the earth, the clay of the riverbed, and scooped it up and shaped it into an image that he himself wanted to become. How do I know that? Because in Romans it says that Adam was the like figure of him that was to come. In other words, God looked across the vast expanse of time and space like an artist or sculptor looks across a room and paints or sculpts a model and he saw what he himself wanted to become. This Jesus never wanted to create a bunch of robots that were forced to serve him. No, no, there's no joy in that. There's no glory in that. There's no honor in that. He wanted to create mankind. He gave him a will to do what he wanted to do. The power of choice. You know what is so glorious about this group that's here today? I am here today because I want to be here today. I am not here today because I have been forced to be here today. And I believe that the devil has been summoned by God and he has said to him, Lucifer, those who serve you, you imprison them, you enslave them. But look down there what's going on in that whole bunch there, that life group, that Gleason group, the churches there in Missouri. They've driven long hours, some of them. They're coming to a place. Guess what they're going to do, Lucifer, when they get there? They're going to sing to me. They're going to clap their hands for me. They're going to worship me, not because I force it, not because I make them, but because of their own volition, of their own free will. Yes. Nobody makes me live the way I live. Nobody makes me dress the way I dress. Nobody makes me live a separated life. I have chosen to live the way I live. For God, you have chosen, you have chosen, you have chosen, you have chosen, you have chosen. So take that, devil. We're here because we want to be here. And as long as we're here, we're going to go at it. We're going to exalt him. We're going to lift him. We're going to shout to him. We're going to praise him. We're going to magnify the Lord. I think you can do it better than that. Would you clap your hands again? Would you lift your voice? Praise. Oh, people, it is wonderful what I feel in this house today. God created everything by Rima, his utterance voice. I can tell you that there are angels in this place today. There are a number of them. There are at least two on this platform. I can feel one to the right and one to the left. 
You know why I know they're here? Because angels were there in the beginning. They saw what happened when God spoke. You know why they came today? Every time that book is preached, the Word of God, they know when the Word of God is spoken, something will happen. And they desire to look into this. They come to every service you're in where a man of God preaches the Word. Because they want to see what happens. Because they know what happened in the beginning. They have an interest in His Word, His power, His utterance voice. I know someone who sees angels. I don't see them. I'm aware of them. I can discern them. I don't see them, but I have a friend who sees them. He told me one night in his service, he said, Brother Stone King, when I stepped in the pulpit, six angels came right in the service. They came in and stood like military sergeants along the walls. <laughs> wouldn't that be something? That would give you a little inspiration, wouldn't it? No matter what the congregation was doing, you could be inspired to preach. <laughs> and so, he said, they're very military. He said, and they watched. He said, one came and leaned on the piano. I mean, can you imagine? He talks about this like I talk about eggs and toast for breakfast. He, one just came and leaned on the piano and watched everything. He said, when the altar service came, he said, they came and just looked with such curiosity. They didn't seem to know what to do because they don't understand salvation. Only mortals understand salvation. They don't understand it. He said, the moment we stopped and began to pray for the sick, they knew exactly what to do. He said, they snapped their attention. He said, Brother Strong King, I watched every individual that an angel walked up to and touched, fell out in the spirit, and was divinely healed. They know what to do. Do you hear me today? How can you be bored with this church? How can you be bored with this church? How can you just come here in services and sit I don't understand that. If you understand what I'm talking about, that this is around us all of the time, and if you worship him, if you lift him and exalt him, that realm begins to unfold. And you begin to walk into it. Oh. Lift your hands again and let your voice out for a moment. Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I worship you. Come near to us, Jesus. Come near to us. Take the scales from our eyes. anointed by Samuel the prophet. David was a shepherd boy, suntanned. When that old prophet uncorked that horn of oil, and that oil was poured over his head, and Samuel said, David, I am not your king of Israel. coats began to fade and the vision of a throne and a crown and a palace suddenly burst 
his mind's eye. What's interesting about that is, from that time on, he became associated with the king. He became best friends with the king's son. He found himself leading men in the wilderness. Everything in his life at that very moment began. One grain of wheat, if you work with it right, it beca can become a thousand acre wheat field. Just one grain. It's like DNA, the voice of God in your life. It's like being wrapped up in a DNA molecule or one grain of wheat. It begins to grow. It begins to expand. It begins to, there may be many transitional periods from the time you hear the voice till you actually arrive on the throne. But nevertheless, if God has spoken it, it will come walking down the road of your life. It's only a matter of time. So no matter what happens or who does what, just hold on to Rima. Hold on to the vision. Hold on to the voice. Because in God's time, it will suddenly open for you. And your life will never be the same again. There are students behind me, right here behind me, in this meeting, who have heard the voice of God. And they will never, ever be the same. There are preachers that were here last night that will never, ever be the same. It's not because I am who I am. It's because he is who he is. And his voice is the final authority. Do you hear that voice today? Does anybody hear that voice today? Can you feel that voice today? I think we ought to, I don't know if you got a voice left or not, but if you have a voice, could you just shout with that voice to the Lord? There's something about shouting. It attracts the spirit and the power of God. Jesus, I worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, God said to Samuel, he said, Samuel, man looketh at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Our problem is we have this self-image to deal with. Self-image is a product of natural experiences and or environment. It is the outward man. My self-image is how I see myself and how I think others see me. But God looks. And sometimes the man himself cannot even see. The Bible's full of that. Moses resisted the voice of God. He did not see himself as God saw him. Self-image is one of the most destructive things in our path, on our way to being used by God. 
I have encouraged so many preachers. I've encouraged so many young people because of where they came from or what had happened to them. They could not see the possibilities of God in their lives, but through the eye of the Spirit, I could see what God could do with them. And I kept pushing and I kept pushing and I kept encouraging until they got there. My father was an alcoholic. Don't talk to me about suffering. Been there, done that. Don't talk to me about not having this and not having that. I had one pair of Levi's all the years I went through high school. Washed them out myself when I came home from work at night because my mother was not well. Don't talk to me about wanting things and not being able to have them. That's why now, if I get a few dollars and I find someone that wants something and they can't get it, I'll help you get it because I know what it's like to want it and can't have it. And we know that life does not consist in the abundance of things possessed, but it's just sort of nice to reach over and touch something and say, this is mine. Nobody believed. Nobody would have believed when I got the Holy Ghost that knew me from childhood up, even my own relatives. They would never believe that God could do anything with me because of where I came from. They said of Jesus, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? It was full of hooligans and thugs and robbers. They said because of his environment, his environment is bad. What good could he possibly do? No prophet comes out of Nazareth. It doesn't matter what city you came out of. It doesn't matter who your parents were. It doesn't matter what they did. If you've got the Holy Ghost, if the voice of God is inside of you, you can go to the mountains. You can go to the heights. And God can use you. He used 12 ignorant, unlearned fishermen for the most part to turn the world upside down. They shook the Roman Empire from center to circumference because it is written it is written they perceived that they had been with God you may be seated look at your neighbor and say I've been with God look back again and say I've been with God look back and say where have you been and if they answer I've been with God also then look back and bear authoritatively very authoritatively say why don't you act like it because if you say you've been with God, why don't you act like you've been with God? Don't act like you've been with the world. Don't act like you've been with all that nonsense out there. If you've been with God, then you've been again to act like you've been with God. I've been with God. That's why I can jump up and down. That's why I can do what I can do. That's why we had a victory march around here. One of the greatest hindrances to revival in our movement is inferior feelings of ministers themselves. We have a hard time believing that God really loves us. Some children have not had parents. There are many kids on the street that don't know what home life is all about. I can tell you stories that would cause you to sob. Kids I've picked up and tried to help the day some of them are preaching. But when I found them, they didn't know what the love of God was all about because nobody had really loved them. I said to one kid one time, I said, you know, God loves you like a father loves a son. He said, I never had a father. So the statement was spurious. It meant nothing to him. So you have to start all over again. And you know what does it? Keep coming here. No matter how bad your life is, no matter what you've done, no matter how scarred your life, your mind, your emotions may be, keep coming here. 
Just keep coming. I can't give you a counseling station that will straighten out your life. I don't think Brother Gleason can or Sister Gleason or any other preacher here. Some of you, I don't know where to start with you. I wouldn't know how to help you. I can cry with you because of what you've been through. I can feel your pain and I can cry with you. And I can want something better for you. But I really can't help you. Not really. Because it's really not in psychology. It's in Jesus. It's really, really in Him. That's where it is. So just keep coming here. Doesn't make a difference how bad yesterday was. Just come here today on Sunday. And when you get here, lift your hands and worship God. Sing the songs of Zion. I don't know how this works. I, I don't understand it really. I don't. All I can tell you is just keep coming. Give it six months, a year. Things seem to straighten out a little bit here. All of a sudden, give it a couple years, and nobody would ever guess where you came from or what you've done because the scars are gone. The terror is gone. There's a man right there waving his hand, smiling. How did it happen? It's a miracle. Only God, only God could do such a thing. If God made a body out of dirt, he most certainly can repair it. God can fix it. Jesus can fix it. Mm. We all hear Rima. We've all heard it one time or another. We don't trust Rima because we don't trust ourselves. We really, many of us really do not trust ourselves because of inferiority complexes and insecurities. We really do not trust ourselves because we view ourselves as failures. Many people view themselves as failures. And we hold this in our self-consciousness, our subconsciousness, rather. And it is what is in our subconsciousness that we basically communicate to others without even knowing we're doing it. For example, you can pray with someone to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I don't care how, you, how loud you scream, how violently you shake them. If you do not believe in your heart that they're going to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They do not hear your shouting or your shaking. They feel what's in your heart. You must transmit faith to people when you are praying for them for healing or for the Holy Ghost because they don't pick up your words. They pick up what is in your heart, in your spirit. I work a lot of, with a lot of people to receive the Holy Ghost. If you ever are just in an altar service where I am and I suddenly stop and let go of somebody and just lift my hands and begin to worship as hard as I can. Let me tell you what's happening. I became disconnected and I know I'm not transmitting faith and I know it's, it's pointless unless I reconnect with God. So what I'm doing is I'm reconnecting until I can feel that faith again and then I go at it again because I know when I'm transmitting faith and I know when I'm not transmitting faith. It's what's inside of us. Now, this is going to seem very strange to you, I know. But I want you to lift your hands and look straight into the face of Jesus, as it were, and say, Jesus, I am great. It's unusual, isn't it? Yeah. Why are you great? Because he hath made us thus. Because he took our past away. Because he took everything away. Because he has given us a totally new lease 
on life. You have to believe in yourself. If you do not believe in yourself, no one else is going to believe in you. If you don't believe in yourself, they will not believe in you. If you don't feel it, they will not feel it. Mm. Someone walked up to me one time. They said, you are so sure of yourself. I said, yes, I am. I have it, and I know that I have it. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. It's the greatest thing that could ever happen to anyone. I've got the Holy Ghost. I've got a name that is above every name. I know who Jesus is. My sins are gone. I'm on my way to heaven. Now that ought to do something for you here today. Clap your hands for a moment with all of your might. Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. As I begin to come to a close, look with me for a moment at the disciple Peter. Jesus called him a rock. And he knew when he did that, by foreknowledge, that Peter was going to fail, deny him, and cut the high priest's ear off. And he still looked at Peter and said, you are a rock. I've often wondered how many times Peter, in his earthly ministry beyond all of that, went back to that place and listened with the ear of his soul and listened again. Peter, you're a rock. Peter, you're a rock. Peter, you're a rock. I've done it in my own life. I've gone back and said, Jesus, but you said, you said, you said. I heard your voice. I felt your presence. Paul, God told him what he was going to make of him. He gave him Rima. He showed him his life, his suffering. The triggering, triggering experience for every man of God in the Bible who did anything notable for God. Was God communicating his Rima? To that man, Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. God fixed that with a seraphim and a hot coal. Jeremiah said, I have, I can't do this. I can't do this. God said, I put words in your mouth. And from that moment on, it was only when God was able to communicate to the man how he saw him was that man able to receive what God had given him and he began to do it. You do for your children not because of what they are but because of who they are. I don't obey God to be saved. I obey God because I am saved. It's not hard for me to live for God. It never has been. I was converted when I got the Holy Ghost. I'm still converted. It's not hard for me to live for God. I obey because I am saved. It's easy for me to do these things. This young lady testified. She said, if you want to know what's in the world, come to me, I can tell you. She said, there's nothing out there in the world. There's nothing out there in the world. God does for me what he does for me because I am his child. I'm his child. And I've gone to God sometimes. I'm very honest with him. 
I said, Jesus, I want this. Not because I deserve it. I just want it. And I just keep at it. And I just keep at it. And keep at it. And he has given it to me. The Spirit of God overshadowed Mary to mix flesh with God. That's what that was all about. Omnipotence and deity fused itself with human frailty. And God himself was born into this world. Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. But then he sent the Holy Ghost to mix God with flesh. And that's where we are in this here today. In view of what happened here last night, I'm promising you that what I felt and what I feel on foreign soil was in this house last night. It's in America, people. That move of God is in America. And you know what God is doing with us in this very hour, in this meeting? He is trying to find a channel that will worship him here like they do there so he can do here what he does there. That's exactly what he's doing. He's trying to find a channel where people want it, where people will do it. Sister Willoughby, I didn't finish this last night. I just want to close with this. And something's going to happen for a number of you here today. Sister Willoughby, they took her secretly into mainland China. She went by herself, invitation to someone in the underground. They had to hide her. They put her in a building in the basement. But there's an old Chinese woman that had the baptism of the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. And she wanted Sister Willoughby to come. And Sister Willoughby went. And that old woman, carefully, all day long, I forget how many days they did this, went and got her friends and brought them to the basement. Sister Willoughby could not move around. It would be conspicuous. They would, the authorities would realize something's going on. But just people coming in and out, respond, you know, sort of irregularly didn't draw a lot of attention, and some of it at night. Sister Willoughby told me, she was talking, I sat cross-legged on a cushion on the floor and taught the gospel for as much as eight to ten hours a day, and made hands on those old people and young people, and they received the Holy Ghost, and got the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues, and they were healed, miraculously healed. I said, Sister Willoughby, how did you people get where you are today? She said, Brother Stonking, several years ago, we're on a train going through China, and she said there were thousands of people in the countryside working. She said, we sat on the train and looked out the window and saw these broken, aged people and young people with no hope and no destiny and began to cry and sob. She said, we wept almost the entire journey for these people. It was there they got a burden. It was there that they got a burden. There were many interim steps between that and where they are now, but they kept going. They just kept going. They just kept going until now they are where they are. Keep on going. Keep on going. Keep on going because you'll get to where God has spoken to you that he wants you to be. 
Sister Willoughby is a phenomenal individual. She's anointed. And I was talking to her about this one day, and she told the story. She said, Brother Stone King, when I was in Bible school, I couldn't really play an instrument that well. I couldn't sing that well. She said, I couldn't preach, couldn't speak. She said, and I graduated with all kinds of students. They could sing gloriously. They could play the piano. They could play the organ. She said, they could preach. And she said, I wanted to do those things. But she said, those things didn't seem to be mine like they were others around me. She said, but as the years came and went, she said, I heard that this one who could sing so gloriously had backslidden and thrown their gift away. She said, others that could preach, I found that they had backslidden and they threw their gift away. Those that could play so gloriously the instruments and make music to God. She said, they backslidden, they threw their gift away. She said, I went to Jesus one day and said, Jesus, uh, they threw those gifts away. Give them to me. I'll take those gifts. Give me a voice to sing. Give me the ability to play. Give me the ability to preach. Uh, what they threw away, give it to me. Give it to me. I'll take it. And she said, Brother Stone King, Jesus took me at my word. She said, all of a sudden there was an anointing that came on me she said what others threw away became mine so i'm saying today what others have thrown away grasp it get it thank you for listening to this message for more content follow us on facebook instagram and youtube at the life church kc reference the episode notes for more details